0: I want to welcome you, uh, and especially all of you that are watching online and listening via the podcast, for this final message in this series titled, Missed. So, Jim and Joe are lifelong friends because they share the same passions. They love God. They love their families. And they love baseball. They eat, drink, and sleep baseball. In fact, uh, they got off their bucket list a visit to every major league park in America. They loved baseball so much they even wondered as they got older if heaven would be fun if there wasn't baseball. And so they made a pact that whoever passed first would try to get a message back to the other. Is there baseball in heaven? And so Jim passed. Joe grieved. And several weeks later, he's awakened in the middle of the night by a familiar voice. Joe, Joe, I got good news and bad news. Really? Really? Jim, what's the good news? There's baseball in heaven. And it's great baseball. Good teams, exciting games, great competition. What's the bad news? You're scheduled to pitch next Tuesday. <laughs> so, I knew doing a series of teachings on the brevity of life would have the potential to be a little Morbid, And I did not want this series to be morbid. But I do want it to be sobering. Because the reality is, one day in the near future, a stone like this will have your name on it. And there will be a date that marks when you came to this world. And there will be a date marking the day you left this world. And in between, there will be a dash. And for all of us, the dash will be short. And I don't want you dashing through life, never reflecting on the shortness of that dash. Maybe that's why the Bible often compares our life to a race. Because in a race, there is a definite start and a definite end. And a definite end awaits all of us. Let's be honest, aging is just a nice way of saying dying. And so every metaphor in the Bible about lifespan emphasizes brevity. You are like dust, vapor, shadow, grass, mist. And you need to reflect on that with intention. So we looked at what Moses said and what Solomon said. Twice we looked at what Jesus said. Last time we saw what James said. And we're going to close by looking at some words from Paul. In the fifth chapter of Ephesians, he writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, uses one of the two Greek words for time. That's why some of you have Bibles that say Make the most of the time, or make the most of your time, or redeem the time. Because time is very important in the Bible. Because we don't have much of it. So, what Paul is saying, boiled down into one sentence, is don't use time like a fool. Because time is just too Precious to be handled foolishly. Because here's the thing about time. You can't make more of it. So you need to make the most of it. It's simply unwise. To give major amounts of your time. To minor endeavors. But fools do this all the time. The word fool is all over the Bible. We were born with a condition called congenital foolishness. Also called the sin nature. But when we came to Christ, we received the spirit of wisdom. Christ is wisdom. We don't have to live like fools anymore. And what's the chief way in which fools live? Well, you're familiar with Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart there is no God. The psalmist is not talking about an atheist. He's talking about the person that lives life as if God doesn't matter. Who functions in life as if it doesn't matter if there is a God. Who thinks without ever factoring God into the equation. That's why Luke chapter 12. The guy has a great year in business. He tears down his barns. He says, I am going to fill by bigger barns. With so much stuff, I can just spend the rest of my years having one long party. And that night he died. And God said, you Fool. Now Jesus doesn't say the businessman was unethical. It doesn't say he was immoral. But he lived his life as a functioning atheist. Because he never thought about God. So, the scripture says, because your dash is so short. Because time is so precious. Because you have now the spirit of wisdom. Don't use time like a fool. 1 Peter 1 says, while you're here on earth, you should live with respect for God. Another verse says, you should live out your time with reverent fear. You should be thinking, how does God want me to use my time? I hope that's what this series has inspired you to do. In fact, I got my best piece of feedback after early service this morning. A fellow walks up to me and says, you know, Rick, I come to church and I'm always tired. But these sermons on the brevity of life have inspired me. And I'm going to stop falling asleep during your sermons. (laughs) Well, at least that's one win. I hope there's been more. Because the wise person. Is seeking the will of God all the time. Your life is on loan from God. So don't spend it. Invest it. Because the one who gave you the loan wants a return. Years ago I read a book called Your Life is on Loan. And Eric Swanson, the author, says that when he was a boy, it was still legal in the backyard to burn trash. And they had this big barrel because his dad had a lot of cardboard boxes in his work, and he would make them into houses and then take them out back and burn them. So one day he's on his porch with this big box, and he's making it into a little house. And Diane from across the street comes over and says, what are you doing, Eric? I'm making a house out of this box. Oh, wait, she says. She runs back to her house and she comes back with scissors and crayons and thread and fabric. And she starts making little curtains for the cardboard house. She paints the doors. She makes little shingles to put on the roof. When they're all through, Eric says, that's cool. Takes the box to the back and sets it on fire. And Diane starts bawling. And Eric writes, perhaps... She would not have invested so much time if she had known it was only going to burn. You see, Jesus is not just offering you life after death. He's offering life instead of death. He's offering a life that really matters and counts. I think we make the gospel too weak because the gospel is bigger Then the question, if I die tonight, do I know I will go to heaven? Now, it answers that question. But it also answers this question. If you wake up in the morning, do you have a reason to get out of bed? If you live 50 more years, do you have a purpose that will carry you the distance? Because you weren't just saved from something. You were saved for something. Something. So live wise. Time is a limited resource. Don't waste it making big deals out of little deals. And Paul gives us a couple of great pieces of advice in time management. Here's the first. He says, if you want to live wisely, then since God moves... Because it doesn't matter if you hit your target if you miss what God is up to. So look again at verse 17. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now I was taught as a boy, the main job of the church was to look back. To look at the churches of the first century and reproduce them. I don't think that was a wise strategy because I don't live in the first century. The first century churches were not monolithic. They each adapted to their particular culture. Now we take principles from the New Testament and those churches and they apply to our age. But we want to be a church that reaches our culture. We want to be a church that is fruitful in the 21st century. I think a better question than looking back is look ahead. Where is God taking the world? What is God moving history toward? I see when the kingdom comes and His glory fills the earth, I see a world with no racism and no sexism and no poverty and no disease. And God is moving the world toward that end. So it seems to me what we ought to be asking is, how can we join God with what He's doing? How can we find where God is moving and partner with Him? Instead of saying, hey God, bless what I'm doing, we should be saying, God, help us do what you're blessing. And we know what he's doing. Because Paul in one of his sermons in Acts 17 says, God began by making one person. From him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. And God exi- decided exactly when and where they must live. Another, another version says, he decided their times. Why? Because God wanted them to look for him. And perhaps search all around for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. So, the Bible says what God is doing is putting people in places and times so that they can find him. And we want to join God in this. Let me give you one, just one practical application. Forget what your political position is on the immigration issue. Here's the reality. Right now. In the metroplex, over 270 different languages are being spoken. In the nation that has more money and more kingdom resources than any, God is bringing the world. He is bringing the nations to us. So we should be sensing what God is doing and joining Him in bringing about the end He has declared and desires. And we're doing that all the time. But here's the problem. It's hard to see what God is doing. Because the days are so evil. And the temptation is to live cautiously. And hide behind our walls at our houses. And at our church buildings. So that we don't get hurt. And to live protected lives. Here's the problem with that. God moves, will almost always move you out of your comfort zone. Because Jesus did not promise that if we follow Him, we will get a safe life. A pain-free life. A life with no risk. A life with no sacrifice. Because the goal is not to avoid a wounded life. The goal is to avoid a wasted life. And so I remember several years ago reading about a Dutch pastor during World War II. And he knew what was going on in the evil world because he knew many Jewish people that were disappearing. And so he and many other Christians began to hide Jewish people in their homes. And one night they heard the sound of the soldiers. And his whole family's arrested. And they're crammed into a crowded cattle car to be taken to a camp, which was really an extermination center. And all night they prayed and they worried. And suddenly the train stops and lights are flashing and people are barking and shouting. And they're herded out, they assume, to their death. Only to discover they're not in Germany. They're in Switzerland. And some brave person had maneuvered the track switch And that train had gone to a destination it wasn't intending. And they were free. And that's an awesome story. And we celebrate the miracle. But let me ask you something. Suppose the story ended with them in camp. Murdered for their good deed. Would you still like the story? Wouldn't it still be a story of someone that stood against evil? that stood for god a story of someone willing to be a light in a dark world at great price it's still a good story because they partnered with what god was doing and i promise you in a dark world god's not going to waste a light no matter how brief or long it burns And so, sense those moves of God and join Him. And that means learning to seize God moments. Now, I don't like to throw out Greek words unless it's necessary. You do not have to know Greek to go to heaven. You won't be able to talk to anybody, but you don't have to know Greek to go to heaven. But I mentioned Paul used the word for time. Actually, the Greeks had two words for time. The first is the word chronos, and it meant sequential time. It's where we get our word chronology. The second word was the word kairos, and it meant the right, the opportune time. We use the word that way when we say, boy, it was just a time to do something. It was time to stand up and say something. It means the the Moment, the event where something must be done. That's the word Paul uses. He's saying that in the passing of Kronos time, there are these moments that are just bathed in the purpose of God. Make the most of those moments. In a dark world, they need to be grabbed, they need to be seized, because they're not just coincidences, they are providences. He uses the same word in Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers, and make the most of every opportunity. I'll give you an example of what that looks like. So several years ago, my wife and my sister-in-law spent a couple of weeks in a nation in Asia doing Let's Start Talking, reading the Bible, teaching English to people some of who had never seen a Bible before. On their way home, Jamie has a one-hour flight to Korea before she flies back to America. And she prays, Lord, if you want me to witness or share my faith with someone on this flight, put them in the seat next to me. And this young College student from China sits next to Jamie, but immediately opens a book and starts to read. So Jamie gives her some space. When the person came to give snacks and drinks, the girl beside Jamie closed the book and she recognized the cover, a tree on it. And she said, Is that purpose driven life? I know that book. Are you a Christian? The stewardess says, I'm a Christian. Jamie said, I'm a Christian. But her friend says, I'm not a Christian. Here's the backstory. She had some friends in China that were Christians. Who spoke and witnessed to her, but she had little interest. She's walking down a street one day, and a downpour begins, and she has no umbrella. So she just rushes into an open door to get out of the rain. It just happened to be a Christian bookstore. And the person there at the store said, you really ought to read this book. You might like it. So she bought it for the flight. So she's got this book open in Chinese. She's reading Purpose Driven Life next to my wife. And my wife says, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. If you have any questions about Jesus or the Bible, I'd love to talk to you. But she didn't show interest at first. She turned away. But after a couple of minutes, she turned back. She said, I do have some questions. And she asked some good questions, especially this one. She said, I'm a scientist. But I knew early in my studies something was wrong because they were telling me there is no God. But there's too much design in creation to believe that. There must be a designer. But I figure he must be like this this power. And we're lab rats. And he's doing an experiment. Because I cannot imagine how the designer could know or care about me. And Jamie said, but you have friends who have shared their faith with you and love you. And you're walking down a street one day and it just happens to start raining. And you just happen to wind up in a Christian bookstore. Where you just happen to be recommended a book with a cover that I would just happen to recognize. Because I just happened to pray that God would put me by someone searching. And you just happen to sit next to me. And Jamie said, I think the designer is very intentionally pursuing you. Because he knows you and cares about you. And her new young friend said, as the plane landed, you've given me a lot to think about. What happened? My wife made the most of the time. She seized that God-appointed Moment. Because she is filled with a different kind of wisdom. Fools can tell time, but they can't discern moments. Because God moments are rarely scheduled. You understand that. You are not gonna get an email this week from heaven saying, Hey, between 3 and 3:30 on Thursday afternoon, I have scheduled a God moment, so be awake, okay? You have to live every day alert. You have to be hospitable to interruptions and the things you didn't plan and the surprises. Because the Creator is moving their story into position to intersect your story. So that you can witness about His story. And He's doing this all the time. And so instead of just dashing through life. Learn to recognize the moments that can be redeemed for the purposes of God. Search every moment for its real worth. My friend Rick Russo pastors a church in Colorado. He says when he was a young preacher, the best advice he ever got from a veteran preacher was this. They were at lunch and the older preacher said, what are your dreams, Rick? And he said, well, I dream about this, I dream about that. Someday this, someday that. And the old preacher said, Rick, that's all good. Hold on to your dreams. But then he said, but don't forget to be of value where you are. Don't worry. About being a value where you aren't yet. This is your time. What I've been teaching you the last six weeks makes no sense to the world. You live this way and the world will call you a fool. But I say, it is not wise to spend all your time trying to win the wrong race. And so don't lose most chasing more. The real Fool is the one who spends all his time for no bigger reason than to have a barn that is full. Your life is alone from God. Your dash is short. And surely you and I are here for a bigger purpose than to see who will have the biggest will in the cemetery God is leading you to run a better race because here's the thing it doesn't matter if your race is 20 years or 40 or 60 or 80 It's still a very short dash compared to eternity. And we're not going to remember the duration of your life. We are going to remember the donation of your life. So don't waste your time chasing more. Make the most of it. Do you remember several years ago the horrible shooting tragedy on the campus of Virginia Tech University? And several weeks later there was a memorial, an intentionally Christian service on that campus. And Philip Yancey, the brilliant Christian author, Was asked to speak. Ironically, only a couple of months earlier, he himself had had a near death experience. And he referenced it to make a point that day that was so powerful. I want his words instead of mine to be what you hear. Reality came starkly home to me nine weeks ago today when I was driving on a winding road in Colorado. Suddenly I missed a curve and my Ford Explorer slipped off the pavement and started tumbling side to side at 60 miles per hour. An ambulance appeared and I spent the next seven hours strapped to a bodyboard with duct tape across my head to keep it from moving. And a CAT scan showed that a vertebrae high on my neck had been shattered and sharp bone fragments were poking out next to a major artery. The hospital had a jet to fly me to Denver for emergency surgery. I had one arm free with a cell phone and little battery time. And I spent those tense hours calling people close to me knowing that it might be the last time I ever hear their voices. It was an odd sensation to lie there helpless, aware that though I was fully conscious at any moment, I could die. Samuel Johnson said when a man is about to be hanged, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. When you're strapped to a body board after a serious accident, it concentrates the mind I realized how much my life focused on trivial things during those seven hours I didn't think about how many books I had sold or what kind of car I drove it was being towed to a junkyard anyway all that mattered boiled down to four questions whom do I love? Whom will I miss? What have I done with my life? And am I ready for what's next? The Bible asks a question. What is your life? And it answers. You are a mist and it's time to wise up so father i'm praying now in the powerful name of jesus that we will have the courage and the faith and the desire To put an end to foolishness. And step instead. Into. A life. Of wisdom. And whether you give us one or many more. Days. May we make the most. Of it. And on that day. When our strength is failing. The end is near and our time has come. Still on that day. May your praise be unending. 10,000 years and forevermore. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. Our response team will be down front. Because people today are going to come for prayer. People today are going to come and get baptized. People today are going to come and step into the gospel because it's that big. Please come.